it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Not quite. It's Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy's hosting Gutfeld tonight. That's at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. in Reno. Do tune in. So he's got to prepare for that because it's not just like you show up and there's four people sitting around, five people sitting around talking about stuff. There's prep, baby. And Jimmy preps. I mean, I've done many segments with him as a fellow Fox News contributor. And some people, I'm not saying at this network. I used to go on CNN and MSNBC a lot. And people would just walk. I remember one time I was walking onto a CNN set. I'm not going to say who it is because that would be kind of a cheap shot considering this is like seven years ago. But it always stuck with me. And he says, what's that in your hand? I go, it's my notes. He goes, you still need notes? Like kind of like in an obnoxious way. I guess he was trying to like bust my chops, but it was hard to tell. I said, yeah, don't you? No, I know the subject matter enough where I don't need to look down and look at my notes or anything like that. I said, well, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. You go on the air. Let's say you want to cite a stat to back up your argument. You want to read a quote from somebody. You've got to have that stuff in front of you. And if you screw it up, guess what? Particularly on Fox, there's all these freaks that watch the network as a job. And if you get even one thing wrong, boom, you're, you're a mediate story for, you know, the, the next uh, three days uh, after Media Matters uh, covers it first, right? So that, that's all I'm saying, that, that notes help. Jimmy's prepared. I'm prepared. I'm prepared for today, this great show that we're going to have over the next three hours. Tremendous guest, by the way, uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, probably the best name on Fox, I think, right? I mean, if we signed Buck Sexton, Buck shows up once in a while as a guest, but if Buck were signed as a contributor, Buck Sexton would probably be the best name. But then a close second is Nicole Sapphire, who does sound like a Bond girl and looks like a Bond girl, except she's infinitely smarter than a Bond girl because of the whole doctor thing. And my wife worked with her husband. Uh, Dr. Sapphire's uh, many moons ago. So uh, we, we have some commonalities there. But uh, she's joining the show a little bit later, and she's obviously uh, a Fox favorite for, for many fans out there. Also, we have Ashley Strohmeyer, which, you know, Ashley does Fox and Friends first. That ain't easy, particularly if you're uh, of the female variety. Now, I do it uh, several days a week, but I primarily do it from my home in my basement, where I am now, for instance. I'm the original Joe in his basement, which is great. It's nice and convenient. You don't know on the other end that I'm doing this from a basement because it sounds like I'm in a studio. So, hey, if I don't have to do the two-hour commute to New York, then fine. I do it from here. But the point is that Ashley has to wake up for that show when you go through all the prep, all the different interviews they have to do, all the different stories that they're covering, and then obviously hair and makeup, right, which for me takes about 40 seconds because the hair hasn't moved in a good 25 years. And makeup is basically taking a brush and, and, and brushing across my face for about 20, 25 seconds. And I'm done. That's it. With, with, with the gals, it, it just takes a little bit longer because there's a lot more moving parts, particularly with the hair, that, that has to be taken care of. So by the time uh, Ashley gets through all that and all of her prep, she's getting up at like midnight. I know Carly Shimkus uh, tells me, and she uh, hosts that show as well. Uh, Carly gets up at midnight to do a 5 a.m. show and then does Fox and Friends after that for three hours where they read the news uh, at 15 and 45 minutes past the hour. So, boy, that's tough. you got to admire that. And, and Ashley is 35 weeks pregnant now. I mean, this whole thing, like, uh, you know, maternity leave, it's warranted. Believe me. I, I saw it with my wife. She had, what was it, C-section. 
Like, we tried to have it, uh, it my daughter. It was an it at the time because we didn't know uh, whether it was a boy or a girl. Uh, naturally, and then it, and she got stuck. So then they had to open up the stomach and take her out. But, you know, the recovery takes weeks upon weeks. So the fact that Ashley is working all the way up basically until, like, literally on the air, she, she could go into labor, which would be great for ratings. And, and to see Todd Pyro faint would be even better for ratings. But... Uh, she's still working. She's going to join us a little bit later as well. And Jimmy Fallon will be a guest on this program, which uh, is interesting, right? He, he hosts the show, but usually when people take off, and he's not taking off per se, he's just hosting another show, Gutfeld, uh, they, they say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm off completely. He still wanted to join because it's his name on the, on, on the, on the door, so to speak, his name on, on the banner. So he'll, he'll, he'll join us uh, in the third hour of this program in the 2 p.m. Eastern time slot. I guess we could call it that. Anyway, so much to talk about here, so much breaking, including this breaking, that Donald Trump's trial date, and this is the Jack Smith documents case, right, the, the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, it's going to be set for March 4th. That's what the judge ruled today. And you've got to be kidding me, because March 5th is Super Tuesday. So great. So then leading up to that crucial crucial day as far as primary elections are concerned it's the day that joe biden went from being the guy in fourth place the guy in fifth place in iowa and new hampshire to basically pete Buttigieg and amy klobuchar stepping aside clearing a path for him basically him versus bernie it's either me the moderate haha funny to say now or the socialist who are you going to vote for biden goes on to win the nomination super tuesday was the big turning point as far as 2020 was concerned donald trump started to pull away Super Tuesday as well. You remember, he skipped the debate right before Iowa, and then Ted Cruz won Iowa in 2016. People forget that. Marco Rubio nearly finished second. Trump barely beat him there, and people thought Trump was in trouble. Then he righted the ship in New Hampshire, and then Super Tuesday had big wins on that day, and then he captured the nomination about a month and a half later. So now we have this trial for March 4th, and if you're not telling me this is a fixed fight, I don't how any Democrat – any MSNBC watcher, CNN watcher doesn't look at this and say, wait a minute, this is wrong, that we're doing this in an election year. And the day before the most crucial primary on the calendar, and you're telling me this isn't political? I mean, I just cannot get my head around the fact there's so many Americans out there that actually support this, that think Donald Trump, a former president, should be in jail. Over what? Because here's what I have to say about this. If you indict Donald Trump and you prosecute Donald Trump based on having classified documents that he shouldn't have had, then you better get those indictments out for Hillary Clinton, too, who had it was infinitely worse when she was secretary of state because she couldn't declassify him for starters. Trump says he did. And Clinton had him on a private server that were hacked by both the Chinese and the Russians in a, in a bathroom. He had to, she had to serve in a bathroom somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And on a, so at least these were at Mar-a-Lago where the Secret Service was, was protecting them. No one's walking into Mar-a-Lago and walking out with documents, right? So if you look at just Clinton versus Trump, she's the one that should be indicted if playing by these rules. Or you say, you know what, it seems like everybody does it because Joe Biden had classified documents in Delaware, in his garage, next to his Corvette. Are you kidding me? Where's the indictment there? Where's the indictment for all those boxes that were in Chinatown in Washington? At the, at the Biden Penn Center in Washington. They were spread out all over the place. Don't tell me it was an accident. Of course it wasn't. Also, it wouldn't be in all these different places. So either you indict Biden and Mike Pence, who also had classified documents. Oh, yeah. 
and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump over this or you don't do it at all. Or else maybe somebody who's actually objective will look at this and say that this is politically motivated, that this is the weaponization of the Department of Justice. Don't tell me they're independent and they're working separately and they're not taking their orders from Team Biden. Of course they are. And this is all about one thing. It's not even about getting Donald Trump into prison. It's not even about finding him guilty if you're a jury. That's icing on the cake as far as this whole process, not just with the documents case, but the Georgia case, the Alvin Bragg case, hush money to a porn star in New York, right? All these cases, this is about keeping Donald Trump on the radar as far as his legal troubles are concerned. And by doing so, you're taking issues off the table that matter to people when they're sitting around their kitchen table. When they're talking about inflation still three times higher than it was when this president took office. Yet he's twerking, doing a victory lap, an end zone dance over, ah, we're bringing inflation down. Down for what, I wonder? 9% under your watch? I, I love this argument. Oh, yes, Biden's reducing inflation. This is like if I gain 60 pounds, right, in a year. And my wife said, you know, Joe, when I married you, you were kind of toned, right? Now you look like the Stanley Cup. Like you're about to exit your second trimester. Start to lose some weight now or else I'm cutting off certain privileges that, that husbands have. Okay? We'll leave it at that. <laughs> I should mention also my wife's a former Division One athlete at Georgetown track. Just saying. All right, so when she threatens to take away certain things, that gets my attention. All right, so let's say I gain 60 pounds. And then over the next year, I only gain 20. I say, see, honey, I'm not gaining as much weight as I used to. Well, that's still not good enough, is it? <laughs> that's, that's the argument from Biden. That, yeah... There's still inflation, but you're just not gaining as much at the grocery store as you were before as far as prices going up. They're still going up. They're not going up as fast. Yay us. Please, stop it. And then crime, obviously. I mean, in Chicago this weekend, I could not get my head around this. Chicago White Sox game, Saturday night, no, Friday night, excuse me. It's the White Sox who made the playoffs last year, and people thought, you know, they're on their way up, and they've had a very disappointing year. But they still draw like 22,000 people on a Friday night to watch the Oakland A's as their opponent. The A's are easily the worst team in baseball, soon to be Las Vegas A's probably. Uh, I watched a game with my son last week, and they were playing the Royals at home. And I was just trying to teach him about baseball. He's seven. So there's like, it was like an afternoon game. There's nothing else on. I just want to show him what a double play was type of thing. And you look at the stands, there's probably like maybe – Maybe 500 people there. I mean, it was embarrassing. I'd have to look up what they drew. But the point is that even these two bad teams drew 22,000 people to Chicago's south side, which is the bad side. North side, that's where the Cubs play. My Cubs, good side, relatively, anyway. Two women got shot at the game. Not outside the park, by the way. Right? Not walking in, some sort of drive-by gone bad. While they were in their seats, section 161, okay? One was shot in the stomach. The other one was shot in the leg. Fortunately... They're going to be okay. But the White Sox didn't even stop the game. How do two people get shot in a stadium and you don't stop the game? What, 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 this is insane. Why didn't police order the White Sox to stop the game? And then they said, well, we weren't sure what happened. We thought it was just a medical thing. Well, how long did you not know that they were shot? Because it, that's pretty apparent. And that word gets around pretty fast. If I was at that game with my kids, I'd sue. I swear to God. I'd be like, you put me in danger. My kid's in danger. Forget me. Now, you can't even go to a ballpark anymore in Chicago without getting shot. This is insane stuff. Over the weekend, 22 people got shot in that city alone. 
And, and you're bored when you hear this after all. Like, yeah, 22. Wasn't it 39 last week? Wasn't it like 50 the week before that? Didn't 100 people get shot over Fourth of July weekend? We accept this as the new normal. And the media doesn't cover it. And then when you say, okay, well, we've got to get Lori Lightfoot out of there because she's not doing a good job as mayor. So what do they do? They elect a guy who's worse on crime than she is, who has advocated for defunding the police. And he gets elected in Chicago because something like only 20% of the voting population showed up. I mean, you're kidding me? You, you care about your city so much, you complain about it so much, and then no one shows up, and then this freak gets in. And now Chicago is even worse than it was before. But that's the point, though. Chicago is a microcosm of the Democrats' problem. San Francisco, more people are leaving San Francisco than any city in the country. This used to be a shining jewel. You would go there for vacation, San Francisco, with the Golden Gate Bridge and, and all the attractions that they have. It's a gorgeous place. And now more people are moving out of that city than any city in the country. You know where they're going? Texas, Tennessee, Florida. Who are they run by? Republican governors. Why are they going there? Because taxes are zero, as opposed to 13% in California. Crime, in Florida, for instance, is at a 50-year low. Education system isn't backward, where parents actually have rights, where in California, not so much. Teachers union run things. So if you're a Republican, you've got to hammer home this, that this is the contrast. This is your choice right now. And I don't hear enough being talked about that because we're talking about Trump's trials. And that is all by design. And our stupid media will cover this till the cows come home all the way up until Election Day. Trump trial, Trump this, Trump should be in jail, so on. And not talk about the current president of the United States, who is just, I've never said this about any president, okay? And I'll be, I'll be truthful. I voted for Bill Clinton in 1996 because the country was, wow, the economy was good. He was negotiating with Republicans, and he declared that the era of big government is over, got a balanced budget amendment passed with, with Newt Gingrich, and ended welfare as we know it. Okay, I'll vote for somebody like that. You're balancing my budget. You're shrinking government. The economy is going well. We're not at war. You got my vote. I don't care if there's a D next to your name. All right, so, but I will say this about this current president. This guy is a dirtbag, an utter dirtbag. What he did in Maui last week, and I'm not the guy who gets angry for the sake of getting angry so I could go viral somewhere on some social media platform, but the fact that this guy is cracking jokes where a thousand people could be dead, including whole families, children, and he's cracking jokes, and then he tells this story about, oh, I can relate to what you're going through, because Jill and I had a fire at our house, and my wife nearly died, my cat nearly died, I nearly lost my beloved Corvette. You dirtbag. You bring that up? You say that to those people's faces? They lost whole homes. You had a small fire in your kitchen that the fire chief at the time said was contained within minutes. That was not a threat to anybody. So he's a pathological liar and he's completely insensitive. Don't tell me, well, he's old. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's always done this. It doesn't matter. That is the person who should be on the ballot in terms of a referendum on whether he should be president or not for another four years. Instead, it's... Donald Trump, and will he be president from prison? That is the whole narrative that we hear. We don't hear anything about this president's record. Don't even get me started on the border. We'll talk about education a little bit later in the show. The Ukraine war that's going on forever and ever. We're, we're spending billions upon billions there, but we're not even giving more than $700 to the families of Maui. How is that for a priority? How's that working out? I, I mean, and that's the thing. This is all by design. Donald Trump, front and center. And oh, by the way, this gets him the nomination now, probably, because if you're Ron DeSantis or you're Tim Scott or you're Vivek Ramaswamy, right, how do you get any oxygen? They had it for about, you know, two hours last Thursday when 13 million people tuned in 
to Fox for the debate without Trump where they actually discussed issues. It was a miracle. But now we're all back to Trump, Trump, Trump again. And how they ever going to get any attention, momentum? It's 2016 all over again. And Donald Trump is sucking all the oxygen out of the room for all the wrong reasons, by the way. And a lot of it completely unfair to him. This is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the hottest show in the country. Our country is in serious trouble. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Land of confusion, I want to say this is. Not Phil Collins, but actually Genesis, and I want to say it came out in 1987. The producers will look that up now to fact check me. But if I'm doing my math right, then that song is 36 years old. I love making myself feel old. Genesis was the first concert that I ever saw. It's at the old Giant Stadium. It was 86? Okay, the producers tell me 86. Damn it. I thought it was 87. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so it's even older than that then. And then we're talking uh, 37 years old. But yeah, Genesis, I sat in the top row at Giant Stadium. It was in June, I want to say. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, you Phil Collins was like this little dot, but they had big screens. You end up just watching the screens anyway. But you're, you're there for the tailgate and the experience. So, ah, oh, boy, I'm old. Anyway, the point is, I got to read this quote because it blows me away that this person said this on the air. Joy Reid, MSNBC. This is what she said after Trump's mugshot was released. Quote, I despise Donald Trump because he sig- uh, signified the rich white guy in Manhattan. She goes on to say that she never watched The Apprentice. She said, quote, as a teenager living in New York, I've said it before. This is why I never watched The Apprentice. As a teenager living in New York. That's interesting because The Apprentice came out in 2004, I want to say, and ran to like 2000, I guess up until Trump uh, ran for president, right? So ran for about 10 years. So that, considering that Joy Reid is 54 years old, The Apprentice aired when she was in her 30s and 40s, so she couldn't have not watched The Apprentice when she was a teenager living in New York. That's interesting because she was raised in Colorado until she was nearly 18 years old. Then she moved to Brooklyn, but then she went right off to Harvard undergrad right after that. So she despised Donald Trump because he represented the the rich white guy that absolutely hated and despised her. She didn't watch The Apprentice as a teenager as a result, even though she was in her 30s and 40s. She said she grew up in New York when she grew up in Colorado, and her net worth is currently $4 million. (laughs) Ah! I mean, and the thing is, if she's an opinion person, I give people a lot more slack. She anchors election night coverage. Right? That's what this network is. Uh, great hairdo, by the way, too. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more, including Tudor Dixon, Nicole Sapphire. Stick around, please. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
And welcome back, everybody. It is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. You know, I don't get jealous very easily. I'm not the jealous type. But I made an exception over the weekend because I got to watch my friend Nicole Sapphire putting up all these pictures. And usually I'm not jealous of anybody who goes to Harrison, New Jersey, having lived in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, not far from there for too long. Harrison, it's a nice little town, but, you know, it's not a vacation spot per se. But it is the home of Red Bull Arena. Now, you're saying, Joe, you're talking soccer on here, that sport on it. <laughs> Trust me, I got a nine-year-old daughter. I just flew to friggin' San Diego to watch her play in something called the Surf Cup. I had to fly 3,000 miles, spend, I'm not going to give the exact number, but let's say uh, well into the four-figure range. We'll put it that way by the time you go through airfare, not just for my daughter, for me, my wife, my son, all the hotels, all the meals. She's nine. And I have to fly 3,000 miles to watch her play? I played Little League travel baseball. We went to West Point. That was the big deal, which is 45 minutes away, basically. So the reason why I bring this up is I've really become very appreciative of the game of soccer and all the little things that go into it. And, and, and mostly it's not about the goals. It's about the footwork and the passing, quite frankly, is what I've learned. And if you watched Lionel Messi on Saturday night, here he's playing for this Miami team, which was the worst team in the league until he got there. Now I think they're unbeaten, and he has something like 11 goals in 11 games, which is insane for, for soccer, trust me. Uh, he scored this goal on Saturday night. It was the greatest goal I have ever seen. Not the goal part so much, because he basically tapped it in, but what he did to set up that thing, where, where he made five people who are professional soccer players look profoundly foolish. And, and, and the fact that Nicole Sapphire was there with her son, I mean, Nicole, God bless you. How did you get those tickets? Let me know. Well, you know what, Joe? First of all, lovely to be on with you on oh, this yes. Monday morning. Uh, but <laughs> I'll afternoon. tell you, that I guess it is, oh, gosh, it is the afternoon. I'm, I'm, I'm not even halfway through a very long shift today. Oh, <laughs> but, um, sorry. Sorry. Uh, so it's my, it was my youngest son's birthday, also a soccer player like your daughter. They're the same age. And knowing that they were coming to town, to be honest, I looked at these tickets a few weeks back before it kind of became public knowledge that Messi was coming to town. And I'll be honest, I got oh. kind of a good deal at it. I saw some of the prices going last minute. I'm like, whoo I did not pay that. Thousands of dollars the tickets were going for. Yeah, you know? I didn't uh, But that. if you were somehow had that you know, forward thinking of, hey, wait a minute. Messi's going to go play for Miami, and the Miami's playing in Jersey, and I live in Jersey, then you can get tickets for a pretty reasonable amount when you compare it to Yankee tickets anyway. So that, that was fun. It looks like you had good seats, too, from, from what I see. What was the crowd reaction when that incredible goal took place, and were you able to see it from where you were? Oh, yeah. So we okay. did have good seats. We were just a few up from the field. Um, but it was actually funny because Brian Kilmeade was right in front of me there oh. with Fox and Friends taking some footage. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, that goal was incredible. So, first of all, Messi had a penalty kick, which he did not make. But then literally in under a minute, he just set up this this goal, like you were mentioning, and he just tapped it in. It was like it was it was almost comical how easy it seemed for him to make that goal. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's a home game for the Red Bulls or the New York. Oh, yeah. So, well, the whole crowd, the crowd was on their feet. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to tell you, first of all, the entire crowd was wearing a messy jersey. Maybe maybe 10 percent had Red Bulls on. So I, may, I kind of felt bad on that because <laughs> right. it's, it's a home team. But I'll tell you, the whole the whole stadium was just cheering for Messi. Even when Messi wasn't playing, they were cheering for Messi to play. I mean, the crowd was there for Messi. There was a ton of energy. It was a great night. Well, that was my, my next and final question. When you're at basically the 55-minute mark and soccer matches go on for 90 minutes and change, and he's still not playing where you're like, oh, crap. 
they may just sit him and rest him. <laughs> I just took my well, that was, It's not an easy place to of, get to. Yeah, so if you, you know, read OutKick or even I think the New York Post, they even said this is supposed to be a rest game for Messi, and they weren't sure he was going to be playing. And so I started getting nervous. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like the reason we're going, and that, which is the reason why most people seem to have gone. And he didn't play the entire first half. Yeah. And then when the second staff, half started, he didn't play. And I was like, oh, man, this is awful. And the whole crowd is going to be disappointed. But then five minutes into the second half, all of a sudden, the crowd goes wild. And I have no idea because I'm like, what's happening? I clearly have missed something. It's because Messi started warming up on the sideline. Yeah, a sigh of relief. You, but, you hear but you it coming could, through the TV. But I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It was still a rest game for him. He did not give his 100%. He, he was not fighting for that ball. He was yeah. just kind of hanging out. God bless him. He still made a goal because he's, you know, messy. Right. But uh, it, it, was, it was nice that he played because the crowd, I, I, you have to think that he did that for the crowd or at least the whole team did that for the crowd. Absolutely. We're talking to Nicole Sapphire. I was at Red Bull Arena last year for a game, and it was sold out because they were playing the New York team. So uh, that, that ate up all the tickets. So the place holds 22,000, 23,000 people. My question for you, Nicole, is how many people were in masks uh, on, on Saturday night? You know what? I did see a few people in masks, but I would huh. say less than 1%. Really? All right. Because, yeah, those corridors in there can get kind of tight and everything, but it's an outdoor arena, obviously. But can you believe what we're seeing now as far as some schools now mandating masks again and some Democrats now, Dr. Fauci, talking about how masks may have to come back? I, I, if we just make this a conversation about the data and the science, if you wear a cloth mask, does that really protect you? Well, you know, Joe, honestly, it depends on what you read, because for every study that someone points to saying that, hey, by the way, any these masks decrease transmission, I can th- show you three more that show that they don't. So people really pick and choose the data that they want to look at and kind of abide by. But if you look at the overall consensus on the data, uh, yes, if people are regularly wearing high-quality masks, such as the N95s, you do have a decreased risk of transmission. When it comes to the cloth mask and even some of the surgical masks, it really doesn't have an effect. Now, that's not to say that you don't decrease your your overall risk of contracting COVID if you are properly and constantly wearing a mask. But the effect that it has on the community transmission isn't really affected by these mandates and people masking. So it should really be based on an individual preference and not in community or mandate settings. Well, you're right about, you know, it depends on what you read or what you watch in some situations. So if you watched MSNBC over the weekend, uh, they had the, uh, was it Mehdi, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Hassan show. And oh, yeah, Meta. Yeah, Meta. Okay. And, and he says COVID contrarians claim that closing schools was a mistake in part because of the impact on their mental health. But that's not what the data says at all, he says. Uh, it says there's, it was a myth as far as COVID, kids and remote learning, and kids being affected mentally. I mean, this is a national television stage that, that these claims are being made on. And I saw it firsthand. You saw it firsthand. For a good year, year and a half here in New Jersey, when my kids were watching their classes through iPads and, and learning remotely, they fell behind. And it, I think it did have an impact on them. I think they've recovered from it uh, for the most part. But I, I, I can't believe people are still justifying that that was a good thing. Yeah, I saw that, actually. They posted that a few days ago. And I think, you know, the fact that they were kind of attempting to justify the school closures, it was kind of a new low 
for the for the network. Um, but essentially, what they were saying was that mental health illness in kids was happening was on the rise pre-COVID. Uh, yeah, we know we know that doesn't mean that COVID was good for them and didn't exacerbate it. Um, but so they were trying to make their point that school closures didn't really have an an effect on the mental illness. It was kind of already happening before, but any parent can tell you that's not true. And I don't need someone who's pushing around numbers in a back room to tell me what the data shows. I saw it with my kids. And when you're talking about being behind in the metrics, when it comes to, you know, we are, we have the lowest ACT scores and, you know, high school graduation rates were lower and, you know, yada, 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 all these things. And they're like, well, you know, you're seeing that across the board for people who are in person and as well as those who are remote learning. So you can't just blame remote learning. Well, no, you can't. You're right. But everyone was remote learning at one point. So you can't you can't even compare. It's not apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. Everyone was remote learning at one point. Then some went back. But then they were also in mass. They were also distancing. And they were also dealing with a lot of other things. So overall, COVID had, was a detriment to our children in terms of their academics, in terms of their mental illness. And to try and say otherwise is just, it's flabbergasting, to be honest, and no one should be listening to them. That's the right word, flabbergasting. And we're, we're talking to Nicole Sapphire. There's a new strain of COVID that apparently is out there. And when I hear this news, now I'll, I'll be transparent. I got uh, the first shot, booster, and then a third one. And then only after I got those three shots did I get COVID <laughs> for the first time. So I found ironic on some level. It was like about a month after I got the third one. And it, it affected me in this way. I got laryngitis. Now, I don't know if I had laryngitis separately and I had COVID, but it was two days before my book tour was about to start. I'm like, no, God. I mean, the one thing you're going to affect me with with this stupid thing is, is, is laryngitis. But But the point is that... We were going on a cruise, my wife and me, uh, a couple of months ago, Italy, Croatia, kind of a work thing. I won't get into the details of it, but uh, something I was very much looking forward to, having had our honeymoon in Italy. And my wife said, do you think that we should get another shot? Now, she's a doctor, and she was asking me, but I guess, you know, it was kind of like all for one, one for all type of thing. She goes, do you think we should get, uh, you know, the fourth shot? And I said, honestly, I don't see what difference it'll make at this point. I know cruises are kind of hotbeds for COVID, but... I, I'm I'm still relatively young. I'm healthy. If I get it, I don't think I'm at any risk because I have no pre pre-existing conditions. The kids, forget about it. I mean, they've had it three times and it barely affected them. And my wife's had it three times and it didn't really affect her. So I, I guess my question is if we keep hearing more and more about, well, we have to go back to mass mandates and certain kinds of lockdowns. Don't you think that most of the American people will just resist and say, sorry, I'll take my chances? Yeah, well, I think the really moving forward, the mask, as I said, the mask as well as the boosters should be on an individual basis. I've been saying that for a couple of years now, and it's all about risk analysis. Uh, you mentioned two strains right now or two variants. You have EG5. People are calling it the Eris strain. Uh, that's the dominant one in the United States right now. It's it's a subvariant of Omicron, so your existing immunity does still confer protection from that. Um, but we're also seeing a new one um, that's been now identified in the United States. It's BA 2.86. Um, that one is highly mutated, so it's going to be different than Omicron. And so people are wondering, well, is existing immunity going to have protection over it? And the answer is they don't really know right now. Um, and these new boosters that are coming out this fall, which President Biden just said um, that you know he's approved and they work and they're going to be great. He's mm-hmm. super excited about them. But uh, the truth is, uh, no, we actually don't know if it's going to work against the new variant. They're trying to do some lab studies on it, but it was based on one of the old ones. So the chances are it's probably not going to have much effect. 
So when it comes to these things moving forward, if you've recently had COVID, you probably don't need a booster because you have that existing immunity. Um, and if you're high risk, you know, 65 and older, have medical comorbidities, you know, consider getting a booster if you haven't had one in a while, if you haven't had an infection. Obviously, they do decrease the risk of severe illness. Amazing. Uh, it, it just seems like this is something we'll have to live with, uh, Nicole Sapphire, for I guess the rest of our lives, right? It's, it's not like this is going to peter out completely. Just it seems like it's going to take different forms. But again, I'm, I'm reading here USA Today, for example, three school districts uh, suspend in-person classes due to COVID-19 and other illnesses. But again, if, if young people uh, who probably already had, most of them have had COVID, I'd love to see the stats on like the percentage of the American population that's had COVID because I don't know anybody who hasn't had it in some form at some point. But if you're under 18 years old, you're at almost no risk. So why not just keep them open? I, I, I don't understand sending kids home and saying, okay, we're going to let this go by. Cause I, I, I just, I, I almost think like I heard immunity is probably better for people that age at this point, considering they've already had it and they're at no risk. Am I crazy for saying that? Well, you're not crazy for saying that, but we have to know that even before COVID, we would shut down schools if you had a certain percentage of the population out for the same illness. Uh, the thought was to you know, sanitize the school and kind of give everybody a couple of days to try and decrease infection infection rates. I mean, they were doing that with strep, with flu, with RSV. Uh, so is it crazy that it's happening now? Well, I think they're, I think they're probably more inclined to, they've kind of like decreased their threshold for closing schools, which it, they should not be doing. I think closing a school should be the last case resort. And even if you only have 80% of the population attending, that's still 80% of kids who are able to go to school. So why would you send everybody home? Um, and so, unfortunately, I think COVID has really decreased our threshold for tolerating certain things. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of respiratory viruses and even bacterial infections heading into the school year. Keep your kids as healthy as they possibly can be. And the good news is, you know, most are not going to be affected by a lot of these illnesses, except for the short term. I think even some parents will, won't test their kids for it just because they don't want to have to keep them home for 10 days. You know, I, I honestly have talked to some parents who are like, I don't even want to know. I'm not even going to test, you know, and if they have it, they have it. So be it. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it, it's a crazy time. One thing I can't tolerate as well, Nicole, is the fact that coming up this weekend, summer's over, basically. It's already Labor Day. This, I swear, you talk to people, this was the fastest summer on record. I don't know what happened exactly, but I'm not happy about it. Are you at least going to be spending some time with the Jersey Shore, or soaking up the last uh, moment of sanity before we uh, go into the uh, cooler fall months? Well, you know, I just got a picture. My kids are currently on the beach at the Jersey oh. Shore. I'm in a 12-hour shift at the hospital and working the entire week. So I will not be hitting the beach myself. Oh. But this weekend is my youngest one's birthday, so we have a soccer tournament that he's playing in, plus his birthday party. So that is how I will end the, end the summer, sadly. Oh I was invited to a party in Spring Lake. Uh, maybe a mutual friend. We'll talk about it when we, uh, when we get off the air. And... Now I can't go because my kid, we just got back from San Diego a couple of weeks ago, and now our wonderful coach has signed us up for a tournament basically outside of Washington, D.C. So I went from having a nice weekend at the Jersey Shore at a really nice house with all the top shelf stuff, and now I'm driving to Olney, Maryland for a tournament that doesn't last a day, not two, four, four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Nicole, I'll be bartending in Morristown before you know it because I can't afford this stuff anymore. I'm losing my mind. Last word to you. Well, you know what? We can FaceTime each other. We'll both be sitting at soccer tournaments. But you know what? That's what parents do.
That's what we do. I know. And the other parents are great, and we, we've kind of, they've kind of become like your friends now, <laughs> like my old friends I never see anymore. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I did go to University of Maryland, so I will be bringing my kids to my old fraternity house to, to give them a whole tutorial about why joining the Greek system uh, 10 years from now will be a good thing for them. And uh, I, I guess that'll be that. But anyway, I really appreciate you coming on. I always love talking to you. Uh, anything to promote? Any, uh, any appearances? Any books? Anything we should talk about? Oh, you know me. I'm always busy. I always have something coming up. I'll let you know. But um <laughs> But for now, I'm stuck in the hospital. Oh, good for you. All right, well, I'll, 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 I'll at least give you this. I'm hosting or co-hosting, if you want to call it that, Outnumbered on Labor Day. So I'll be working on that holiday if you're off. And, and, and well, you know what? Day. I was going to be doing that. But because of said soccer tournament, I had to switch my days. We could have been together. Oh, we could have been. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll be on a couch together uh, soon. And we mean that in the mostly platonic way. Believe me, people, <laughs> don't read into that in any way. I've met Nicole's husband. He has the best hair of anybody I've ever met. And I'll leave it on that happy note. Nicole, thank you for joining. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Joe. All right. Take care. And this is Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America back with more, including your phone calls at 888-788-9910 in just a moment. The show so good, it's hard to describe. It's not a matter of, it's a matter of, you just, oh, in the club, I mean, um, as, as, and, uh, you know. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. You know, so, uh. And welcome back, everybody. It is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon, approaching our number two. Tudor Dixon will be joining us, to which our uh, wonderful producing team here informs me that you used to be an actress in horror movies. And when I heard this, it was the least surprising thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know why. She looks like somebody, like a Meghan Markle almost. I'm not talking about personality-wise, but you could totally see her as, as an actress at some point. And obviously she ran for governor in Michigan. Uh, that, that was a tough hill to climb considering the media there is so, I mean, you think it's hopelessly partisan nationally. I mean, in, in the state of Michigan, particularly in Detroit, forget about it. So she uh, lost a, a, her race there to Gresham Whitmer, but now she has a podcast and she's just a really informative and fun person to talk to. So I'm glad we'll have Tudor coming up on the other side of the break, as well as your phone calls. 888-788-9910. It is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. And welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of Fox Across America. Jimmy Fallon hosting Gutfeld tonight. That is 10 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. in San Diego. Do tune in. It's going to be, I mean, Michigan, I, I got to say, uh, Jimmy Fallon is an absolute natural as far as being a host. And he's hosted Fox News Saturday night recently. That's a 10 o'clock show where they've had some rotating Hosts in there, and they, they've all been great. Cat uh, has done it, Tim uh, Tyrus, I, I've seen there, uh, obviously, Jimmy. But Jimmy, boy, I mean, I guess when you do radio three hours a day, suddenly doing the hosting thing on television just gets a little bit easier because you're just so used to having to speak extemporaneously for 15 hours a week, right? So uh, I, I think, you know, that's my prediction. Within five years, Jimmy's going to have his own show, uh, just like uh, Gutfeld has his own show, because uh, it's one thing to appear as a guest for five or ten minutes on the network. It's another one to carry an hour altogether. And as we see with Jimmy with the show every day, uh, he could definitely carry uh, an hour. And I'm not saying that because he's allowing me to guest host today. Before anybody gets any conspiracy theories around why I'm being nice, just think the guy has talent. What can I say? Anyway, speaking of talent, I want to bring in Tudor Dixon, who 
I don't know if too many of you knew this. I didn't know this. And, you know, I, I would think I would have because I'm kind of a movie buff. But, Tudor, am I to understand that you've starred in uh, several, at least had parts in horror films before you got into the whole political media thing? I am going to kill Jimmy. I don't know why oh. you gave him such accolades because this is just going to make him have a really big head and he's going to be impossible to deal with now. Yeah, I think you're right. If, ow! I, his head is just expanded and hit me in the side of the head itself. Jimmy, get out of here. <laughs> I think he's, he's checking in and then just, boy, that's uh, – no, nah, the guy doesn't have an ego. I don't think he does. I mean, I know him fairly well, but I think – the thing about Fox is, Tudor, I was on – with uh, a host that's no longer with the network a few years ago. And he asked me, what makes Fox so much more successful than its competitors? And he said, don't say it's because the opinion side is right or right of center. That's the easy answer. So I thought about it for, it felt like an hour, because when you're on live television, even a second feels like, you know, 50 seconds. And I said, you know what? I got to be honest with you. When you speak to people in the green room, when you speak to them before you go on, on a set, and even when you're having conversations on the air, I don't think too many people here take themselves very seriously. They have a sense of humor. And I used to do... CNN, MSNBC, when there were more sane networks, like in the pre-Trump days. And what, whenever I walked out of there and I talked to my wife about, she's like, oh, how'd it go? I'm like, it went well, but everybody is so stuffy and serious and, and, and pretentious. I go, I, I'm not really too crazy about some of the folks over there. The Fox never had that feeling. So I'm sure you get the same feeling as well, particularly when you go on a, sh- a show like Gutfeld. But enough about that. You have four girls, correct? I do. Yes, I do. How old are they? I have two 10-year-olds, twins, and then 12 and 14. Wow. Okay, because my son's birthday is today. He turns 8. My daughter's birthday is in a couple of weeks. She turns 10. They seem to be the fun ages as far as everything that we're doing. But do your kids play sports by any chance? Um, my oldest is in golf right now, yes. Really? I'll get my kid golf lessons. Uh, but my daughter is this incredible soccer player, and we had to go to San Diego for a tournament just a couple weeks ago. I'm oh, like, my word. That's a lot. <laughs> like, can't we just play the Bronx or somebody, like, nearby here in Jersey? Like, you know, I'll go to another state. Seriously? Whoa. Yeah, it's insane. But, I mean, raising four girls and doing what you do as far as, you know, you obviously have a great podcast, the Tudor Dixon podcast. Uh, you launched it a couple of months ago. And I understand – well, I guess my question is – when you have, you know, those kids and then you got to raise your, your husband, as my, my wife likes to put it, it's like having a fifth kid, <laughs> apparently, you know, how do you balance it all? You know, you, it's one of those things where people ask you that and you're like, you just do. I think yeah. every mom out there feels this way. You just do. You have to. And that's why women oftentimes say we really could get this done a lot easier than men because we're just so used to having to do it all. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and speaking of your podcast, uh, let's see, I, I heard you have like a D-list uh, guest uh, coming up soon. Yeah, we we actually have President Trump on Wednesday, and he's such a, he was so much fun to talk to. Just you know, he really it's funny because I like to talk to him about some of the stories that people tell me that you don't hear about President Trump because there are some really good stories about President Trump that you don't hear just about him helping people behind the scenes. And he's like, oh, people don't like those stories about me. It's so funny because they love those stories about him. They love to learn that he is someone that you don't know, that he sees people in need and he helps them, and he doesn't care if anybody knows. That's the interesting part about him running for president, having become president. It's just like what you say about those Fox News hosts. People watch because they feel like, man, if I went out to lunch with that person, they'd be the same as they are on TV. It was the same with President Trump. When he ran, people were like, I bet I could hang out with him. And we share a lot of those stories of folks that said, 
man, something incredible happened and he never told a soul that he did this for me. So it was a very, it was a fun interview. I think that people are going to really like it. Yeah, when I say D-list, I mean D isn't Donald Trump, of course. Uh, that's about the biggest interview you could get right now. We're talking to Tudor Dixon. She is the host of the Tudor Dixon podcast. I, I just wonder how you got on the former president's – he was then president. Uh, right? No, I guess he wasn't now that I think about it. Uh, but how you got on Donald Trump's radar when you ran for governor of Michigan because there was a pretty crowded field from what I remember, and he endorsed you, and that was like rocket fuel uh, as far as you getting the party nomination. So uh, how, how did you meet Donald Trump, and how did you get his endorsement? You know, I think everybody in Michigan sat down with him at one point, and I was very persistent. I will say that I am very persistent and <laughs> persistent, but not annoying. And, you know, we talked several times throughout the race, and he was watching the race closely. And um, he decided at just at the very end of the primary, he came in and endorsed, and I was incredibly grateful for that. But he, he really followed, and that's the other thing that I don't think people understand about him a lot of these decisions they go oh that was just willy-nilly no he follows you and he remembers things about you he taught he met my dad during the race he always asks about my father and you know, my, my I lost my dad during the race and he always oh. talks about you know it was great meeting him he remembers things about people so he's very engaged in the process people think oh you know someone got you this endorsement he was very engaged in the process absolutely and and would you consider Tudor Dixon running again uh, when when that, that election comes up, I guess it's uh, 2025, I want to say, or 2026. 2026. Right, um, right. So we, right now my goal is to change some things in Michigan to work on that ground game that we hear so much about to actually have a ground game in the state of Michigan. We really haven't, we have not focused on the absentee ballot, on the ballot chase, on that kind of stuff. And I want to see what we can do in 24, and that will help me make my decision on whether we're ready for a statewide race in 26. And we're talking to Tudor Dixon. You were, I saw you with, oh boy, it was it was on Fox recently, and you were talking about how impressed you were with Nikki Haley as far as her response during that debate that did not have, obviously, Donald Trump there. Uh, Fox and Friends, I want to say. You were with Ainsley. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I wrote a column recently, and I was, I was thinking about who would be the best VP choice if Trump is the nominee. And obviously you see that the, the lead that he has at this point and his supporters are as loyal as anybody. So it's a really, really tough task if you're Ron DeSantis or you're Tim Scott or you're Nikki Haley, uh, as far as picking off those supporters and bringing them over to your side. Now, all, all that said, could you see Nikki Haley being a Trump? And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because we're still four months away from any votes being cast, but could you see Nikki Haley being Donald Trump's VP pick? And you have any predictions around that? You know, I think that he's uh, – I don't have any predictions around what he will do or what he won't do because errand. he's yeah. one of those folks that is – you know, you never know. But I do think that she would be an interesting pick for him. And I say that because what you saw me talking about was abortion. And it, if you lived outside of the state of Michigan, you don't really know what they will come at you with, no matter where your stance is on abortion. And, and I've tried to talk to people about this. They've said, well, you know, we're all going to go after this 15-week ban – and I've said, look, I think Nikki Haley talked about it the best way. Like, we're going to come to a consensus. If there's something federal, we have to bring people together because the reality is you have to bring people together. And that was something that President Trump talked to me about during my campaign several times. It's like, 
this abortion stance is not going to fly. And it was the first time anybody had run in a post-Roe world. You know, we didn't really know what kind of ads they would run. $50 million in attack ads against me. So I can tell you that that's going to be the issue that they believe they can win on. She navigated that beautifully. He has that same opinion on it. I mean, from that standpoint, I could see that being a good matchup because they're looking for how do we win those women who want to feel like, hey, someone gets me, and maybe that, that vice president gets is going to be that person that brings those women in and Donald Trump is going to have a similar view on that. So I think that that's the issue that's going to be the toughest to navigate because as much as people are concerned about the border and the economy and all of these other issues, the way they twist the propaganda around abortion is very powerful with young women. Absolutely. And, and we're talking to Tudor Dixon. You know, we see the Republican message has been all over the map, right? Uh, Ron DeSantis in his state, for example, signed a six-week ban after pregnancy. So did Kim Reynolds in Iowa. Then you heard Donald Trump's stance, which is it seems he favors the 15-week rule, which is basically uh, nothing after the first trimester. First trimester, I think, is the first 13 weeks. So you're, you're around in that range. Uh, and then you see Mike Pence uh, talking about how abortion should be banned in all 50 states. Uh, you have Lindsey Graham actually putting forth bills uh, asking for for a federal uh, solution as far as abortion and bans, which that's not what the Supreme Court just rules. It should go back to the states, and I completely agree with that. I guess the, the question is, Tudor, as far as abortion and the president, I would have liked to have heard him hammer that home on the debate stage. 13 million people watched, obviously. He, he obviously uh, sat down uh, with, with Tucker. Instead, he could have done both, quite frankly, and then, you know, that's the widest net. Were you disappointed that he wasn't there on uh, in Milwaukee last week when he had that opportunity, not so much to debate his primary opponents, but more to reach out to those suburban women that he needs back for the general election, given the platform, the audience, where he says 15 weeks, that is acceptable. And if you look at poll after poll, something like less than one third of Americans support abortions after the first trimester. That's something that I think uh, the former president could go on the offensive in. I just wish he would have been at that debate stage to, to articulate that. Do you think he's going to blow off? I guess this is a very long uh, statement before my question. Do you think he's not going to do any debates before uh, the general election because he's just going to point to his lead and say, I don't have to be there? I think that as people start to drop off and you see these debates become smaller and smaller and it becomes between four people and then three people, it's going to be a real mistake to not be there. I understand not being at this one, having run myself and, and understanding what happens, what can happen in a debate because they lock you into something and then all of a sudden that's every attack against you and it's a it's, you know, it can drag you farther right than you want to go. And I know that's not where he is. And so I know that's not what he wanted to have happen. But I do think that once you start to narrow these debates and suddenly you're looking at three candidates or two candidates, if he's not there, then the American people could have their their eyes drawn another direction. And he knows that he's going to have to come to some of these debates. Not being at the first one was interesting. I think we got to really see the other candidates, what they had to say. But if Donald Trump doesn't attend any of the debates, I think that he's going to start to lose people. People are going to go, well, wait a minute. Isn't it important for us to hear what you have to say, too?
Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely on that entire analysis, uh, particularly when the, the, the former president says, well, people know my record, so I don't have to be there. Well, I wouldn't mind hearing what Donald Trump has to say about artificial intelligence, for example. And boy, is the horse out of the barn already in terms of our ability to control that. Uh, obviously, the abortion issue uh, that we bought up as well, or the Ukraine war. Hey, what which about is... COVID? I mean, we're seeing, we just heard Joe Biden say he's going to start a, funding a new vaccine. They're yeah. closing down schools in Kentucky this week. We're talking about putting mask back on we he he left the office with covid still full force joe biden is claiming that he brought the country back from covid he did not it could not be a bigger disaster than it is right now but i think we all want to know okay what are you gonna you lived through this in the oval office tell us what you do about it now yeah, exactly. And, and you, you must have like the Jedi mind trick on because that was exactly the question I was going towards, which is you ran primarily like I'm a dad of two. You're a mom of four on the covid issue and the way Michigan was locking down, like almost at like a Californian type of level, uh, the way Gretchen Whitmer ran things there, despite the fact she was flying off to Florida, uh, you know, on private jets uh, after she said, don't go to Florida because she tried to take a shot at DeSantis only to visit the state. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, I, that's the thing. Could you see now? Us, the American people, and I'm even talking some Democrats too, the sensible ones, where if we start hearing about lockdowns or school closings that parents and just citizens in general say, no, don't, we're not doing this again because you can't control this virus. Everybody's basically had COVID already, so we have natural immunity. And to shut down things doesn't do anything in, in the end. We've learned that. You think there'll be like major pushback if the Biden administration tries to create like a, a 2.0 situation with COVID? I mean, we certainly heard that amongst well-known conservatives who are out there saying we're not going to do this. But it's interesting because I've talked to people, even on the conservative side, who have said, man, this changed my family members. I've got family members who are strong conservatives, and they're, they're still afraid. Because you know what? When you come out there like the Biden administration did and lead by fear, and you know, Trump got a lot of criticism because he said, we're going to get through this. And people are like, oh, you're not taking this seriously enough. But there really is truth to the fact that when you tell people we're going to get through this, there's light at the end of the tunnel, they're not as scared. They feel good about it. They feel like, okay, we're going to come through this as a team. But but the Biden administration took a different approach. Like if you go to school, I mean, you, we had teachers writing their own obituaries. So I think there are still people out there that have this fear and this panic that will go, I don't know what to do. You know, who do I trust? Because you inherently want to trust your government, but now everybody is questioning. They're questioning the vaccine. I mean, I sat in my house the other day and heard my daughter say to her cousin, oh, yeah, that was – she said, can you believe quarantine was three years ago? And yeah. I thought to myself, my gosh, that's a season of their life. They remember this as a season of their life. You know, quarantine was a part of what they lived. And I think as parents, we're terrified of going back there. But the fear is also still out there. So I don't know. Do they have the control with the propaganda and the media machine that they have to go out there and, and lock us down again and convince people that are on the fence that it's too dangerous? That's scary to me. It is. And, and what's scary to me also is how quickly this interview went, unfortunately, because I'm being told we're out of time. But, Tudor, this was great uh, getting all this time with you, and hopefully we could do it again soon. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. All right. Tudor Dixon, everybody. Horror film. i got to watch these films now. i, I got to see Tudor uh, acting. I can see completely her pulling it off. Maybe go back again. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more on Fox Across America, plus your phone calls, 888-788-9910 in just a moment. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I enjoyed it. It was an unbelievably interesting experience.
Ah, ooh, werewolves in London. Ah, ooh, I haven't heard this song in like 30 years. Good choice. Anyway, Joe Concha. In for Jimmy Fallon. I promise phone calls. So looking at the big board right here, I'm going to throw a dart, literally. And it lands on... Ah, the, the thing just went down. Guys, just pick a caller and send them through. <laughs> I suck. Go ahead. Who's on the line? Hello? Hello? Yeah, hi. It's Joe. Oh, Brad? hi. It's Brian. It's Brian from Clarion, Pennsylvania. Hey, Brian. How's it and going? I, great. And I love, I love your hosting. I just Thanks. wanted to make a comment about the discussion you had with Tudor Dixon regarding abortion. I am tired of hearing about abortion. One of the main reasons that we did so dismally in the midterm elections is because a week or two weeks out before the election, Lindsey Graham spoke out for a national ban on abortion. Yep. This this revved up the, the Democratic base. The Supreme Court has spoken. There is no federal jurisdiction about abortion at this Thank point. You. It's up to the states to yep. decide. And it's a perfect out for the Republicans. They just have to be quiet on the subject of abortion, referring to the states making decisions. And I just wish someone would put a cork in Lindsey Graham's mouth because <laughs> he says things and it ruins it for the for the Republican platform. Brian, you're not alone. Unfortunately, we're up against the break. We're going to talk about this on the other side when we come back. Joe Conchin for Jimmy Fallon, Fox Across America. Stay tuned. You are hearing the greatest guitarist of all time, and that is obviously Eddie Van Halen. Who, I read this recently, it was just a random thing that popped up on my phone. So, obviously, Eddie was the guitarist for Van Halen, David Lee Roth, and then Sammy Hagar, which was not really a step down all that much. The Sammy Hagar, Van Halen, I dig, like, big time. But anyway, before I go off on a tangent, the point is that Eddie Van Halen once was hired by Michael Jackson to do the guitar riff in Beat It. And Beat It is one of Michael Jackson's biggest songs of all time. And that, that, that guitar riff was just, you know, obviously it's classic Eddie. And, and really made that song kick. Well, it turns out he was never paid for it. I mean, I'm pretty sure Michael Jackson can afford to pay Eddie for that. But for whatever reason, he never got paid for not being, uh, for, 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 for taking part in that song. And I know Eddie can do that, that riff in his sleep. But, I mean, considering how big that song became... He should have got millions for that. Just a piece of the pie, something. So, anyway, I had no plans to talk about this whatsoever, but I heard Eddie, and I had to share that story. Anyway, Ashley uh, is on with us right now, Stroheimer, and she is one of my favorite people at Fox because, you know what, she very easily could say, you know what, I'm done. I'm 35 weeks pregnant. You think I'm getting up at midnight for a 5 a.m. show. Well, you got another thing coming. There she was this morning hosting Fox and Friends First. And when I show up, I'm in – and I think Ashley knows this. Maybe I haven't shared this before, Ash, but I'm in my pajama bottoms. I wear the cotton kind. I like my legs nice and warm because I keep the, the bedroom nice and cold. So whenever I'm talking to you, it's shirt, tie, jacket, yeah, but I'm, I'm in pajama bottoms. You don't have that luxury, however, doing your show. So what's your secret to keeping your sanity working overnights? You know there is no sanity in this show, which, <laughs> which, by the way, good to talk to you again twice in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, but, no, I actually, since I am 35 weeks pregnant – 
I do look professional, you know, from the waist up, sure. but I do have my sandals on. I think you've seen it a couple of times, sandals and tennis shoes. That's right. So. You're, you're set. <laughs> you can't see feet on your set, so that makes complete and total sense. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a story that happened to me one time. This is years ago. I'm talking 2006 or seven. Uh, I used to go on a lot of Sundays on MSNBC of, of, of all places. It was a different network then. You know, they they had uh, right. they had conservatives like hosting shows on there. And they had they had liberals. It didn't quite know what it was yet. Uh, so Alex Witt, who I, I think Alex still does Sunday mornings, um, they invited me to come on one summer Sunday morning. Some sort of news broke uh, about Brett Favre or something. I forget, but it's not even relevant. They said, "Oh, can you come on?" Meanwhile, I'm at the Jersey Shore, and I have in my trunk. A jacket, a tie, and a shirt, just in case, you know, I get the call. But for whatever reason, my pants weren't there, right? And I didn't even have, like, a <laughs> pair of jeans or anything. I, all shorts, right? So I show up with the shorts and everything because the set that I always sat on with Alex, it, 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 it was closed off where you couldn't see legs. So I'm like, all right, this is fine. And and the, the person that greets me goes, where are your pants? I go, well, you can't see my <laughs> pants. And I came from the shore, so I, I, don't, I don't have any. He goes, well, we're going to do this standing up. I go, come again? He goes, yeah, we're, we're doing this at, like, this wall, and you guys are going to – she's going to do the interview standing up with you. I'm like, well, do you have any pants later <laughs> And the guy's like, so what's your you size? Do? I'm like – and it, the guy was, like, you know, maybe 115 pounds, you know, like the thinnest guy I've ever met in my life. Next door, because <laughs> this is when MSNBC was in Secaucus, was a Sims. So I went next door, bought a pair of pants, never took the label off, wore it on the air, and then returned the pants right afterwards, which I'm pretty sure is illegal on some level. But that, that's my pants story. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, at least you have a story to tell about it. The story is better than probably – you don't even remember what you talked about. Yeah, I, I forgot the topic, but I do remember the pants part of this. But uh, the, the, the <laughs> exactly. point is – Exactly. It's how it goes. So I used to write for Fox & Friends. I'm, I'm talking 2008 now this was, right? And we had to get in at 1 a.m., Right to, to write for that show. I don't even think there was a Fox and Friends first at that time. And I just remember being single during that time. And it was just, it was hard to date because you had to, you know, uh, take the girl out for the early bird special because you wanted to be in bed by seven o'clock, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to all these fancy restaurants getting all these great deals. But I finally met a girl who was an ER doctor who also worked overnight. So we kind of had the same mentality of you got to get to bed by like seven, eight o'clock in a couple hours before you go in. And I ended up marrying her. So uh, how does your husband deal with uh, the, the Ashley going to bed at weird times and kind of being in this fog throughout the day? Cause that's why I, that's what I remember most about working overnights that fog you're in around two or three o'clock where it feels like it's 10 o'clock at night, but it's still light out. It is a fog. That's a perfect way of putting it. But actually we've lucked out because he's um, he's NYPD counterterrorism. So oh. he has a weird schedule too. And you know, my job pre- predominantly is the overnight anchor. So I'll go in at 8 p.m. Oh. and then I'll stay till 6 a.m. That's my job. But I also fill in for Carlene Todd all the time. Yeah. I mean, when they need somebody, I'm, I'm their go-to because it kind of just works. I'm already there. Um, I've been there all night. I don't really feel as bad, I guess. But when I do host for Carlene Todd, he gets up on my schedule at 1 a.m. and he goes in early. So we kind of try and stay on the same schedule. But I will say, I would hate to date. I'd hate to be in the dating world. <laughs> Not only in New York City, I think that would be horrible, but New York City working this schedule. And I think that's why a lot of people around my age who do work with us are still single. I mean, it's just too tough. It's it's almost impossible. I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. And and even if you do get like a day or two off, they're weird days, you know. So my oh, days yeah, my off days are... off are like Monday night and Tuesday night. So it it doesn't 
I mean, that it works me. in a way because you can do things. Yeah, but you can do things and not have people around, which is really nice. It's, but it's there's not con. a lot going on. Yeah, I try yeah. to convince my friends, like, come on, let's go out. Like, dude, it's <laughs> Tuesday night in February. It's snowing. I go, yeah, but it's it's $5 draft specials over at Liberty it's Bar in Hoboken. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, no, Saturday, that's that. But you got married uh, not too long ago. I guess it was last year, right, uh, in the spring? Yeah, it was April 25th mm-hmm. of 2022. We got married, and now we're expecting a baby. So as you know, Joe, this is something that Joe has done. He's been the only person – I don't know if he's joking when he does this, but every time he sees me, he's like, oh, 18 weeks? I'm like, yeah. Oh, 34 weeks? Yeah. How do you know this, Joe? I don't know. It's it's like it's, it's always a guess, and it's usually right, or I'm off by a week, so it's, it's pretty incredible. You were uh, only but, off by a week one time because you were on vacation. That's right. So I, my clock was off because I hadn't seen you that week, <laughs> yeah. so that makes total sense. But uh, uh-huh. so, so, all right, so how'd you meet your husband exactly? In other words, so he's New York uh, NYPD counterterrorism, your overnight anchor fox uh how, how does that whole thing was it friends got you guys together was it the uh, the tinder is that is that a thing a tinder where you swipe uh, how'd no, you meet mr I, strawheimer i never i never did dating apps i was i, I was it was not my thing but hmm. he actually he works for um, a supplement company that's based out of st louis and i'm from missouri yeah. and we just happened to be out the same night in st louis huh. and we met that way and we became friends for like a year and then at one point we're like hey do you want to hang out? Okay, sure, we'll do this. <laughs> For two years, we did distance. It was the worst situation Horrible. because I was – oh, it was awful because he was still on that weird shift in the middle of the night, and then I was working afternoons into the late nights. It just – it was tough. We would go eight, nine weeks without seeing each other. So wow. Fox did bring us together, though. Uh, Lauren really? Pedersen actually booked him when she worked – when she was the producer for Fox & Friends. She booked him on Fox & Friends. A couple of years prior, so that was she knew who he was when I interviewed the first time. She she knew exactly who he was. Really, that's yeah. interesting. So Lauren, <laughs> you, you, who now runs Fox Business, she's the president of the network right. and one of the better people in the building. As far as I, I don't want to talk about Lauren too much because I'm sure she doesn't want me talking about her. But I will say this: <laughs> uh, when you talk to Lauren, you know you're not getting any BS. Like she is. Oh, absolutely. The most candid person in the building, and, and, and I, I appreciate that as somebody who's you know pretty important uh, within the building. And Suzanne, uh, same thing as well. Anyway, before we go way into the weeds, Ash, uh, we, we talk every day basically about how the media ignores Joe Biden scandal this, Joe Biden scandal that, particularly around the bribery stuff, right? Where it, it, literally there are bank records that show that $20 million was paid to 10 members of the Biden family. And it wasn't because Hunter's a good looking guy. It's because Joe Biden was vice president at the time and they thought they were buying access to XYZ. As a journalist, is this is probably such an obvious question, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. And this is the type of stuff you would ask, you usually ask me, but now that I'm running the interview, this, this yeah. is the fun part. Yeah. Is, is journalism so far gone that we now have networks. Now, I'm not talking MSNBC or The View. We, we know who they are and, and what they represent and, and what the formula is. But like ABC and CBS and NBC, like the evening newscast, 22 minutes, where we used to have Cronkite or Peter Jennings, those types of folks where you actually trusted them. Are they so far gone now in terms of just catering to a certain audience uh, on the left that they're just afraid of insulting their audience by even broaching, investigating the Bidens the way they would if this was a Trump or any Republican? You know, Joe, that's super interesting that you say that because I was having this conversation with somebody um, just last week. What benefit does someone who were a journalist, a true journalist, what benefit do they have to talk about 
the Trumps like they do or Republicans like they do or be so deep what it seems like in the DNC and for Democrats, what benefit do they have? That's the, that's the question that I have because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'll have an opinion about things, but, you know, we work for Fox. It's different. But when you turn on ABC and NBC and you talk about the, the viewership and are they afraid of offending people, look at the polls, the ABC polls, the NBC polls, even those polls aren't, you know, they're not super far leaning for Democrats. Nobody wants to hear it. So it just doesn't make sense to me because I don't know what benefit. They're not getting any kickbacks from it. I, I, don't, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. But I will say that people are getting out of the journalism industry because of that. Yeah. ABC, NBC is supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to just give you the news, and you're not getting that. I think what I saw, Ashley, we're talking to Ashley Stroheimer, she is, what is your title exactly? Fox and Friends first co-anchor, <clears throat> right? So, uh, well, I, I mean, I'm a fill-in <laughs> host, and right. I'm the overnight anchor. Overnight anchor. Okay, so you, you control an entire swath of real estate uh, every night. <laughs> yeah. And, and on the West Coast, that's still like a reasonable time, right? And a lot of people, what I've learned in being on Fox and Friends first uh, it used to be five days a week. I think we're, we're down to, to three, which is, you know, still uh, probably more than most other uh, guests that you have on there. How many people are at the gym at five o'clock in the morning and Fox being on at that gym? I get stopped more for your show, for that show, than if I'm on Hannity or I'm on with Martha or Harris or whoever. It's just amazing how many people are watching Fox and Friends first and and, uh, and how many people are, are – how much of our audience is in shape that they're at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. I couldn't even dream of doing something like that. But, but to the point that we were talking about earlier, as far as the media being so far gone – Dasha Burns is a reporter for NBC News, right? And, and mm-hmm. some people listening at home saying, oh, NBC, liberal. But, but there are exceptions. And Burns, last year, sat down with John Fetterman. John Fetterman, of course, had that stroke in May right. of, of 2021, massive stroke, and, and it, it, or 2022, and, and, it, and it completely hindered his ability to b- basically speak in full sentences, and he had to use closed captioning and even to absorb what somebody was asking him. In other words, he should have not have been running for the, the United States Senate. He should have been trying to get better because a lot of stroke victims end up being repeat stroke victims if they don't uh, take care of themselves properly. And sure enough, he was in a hospital uh, earlier this year for, for several weeks uh, to that point. But Burns simply reports back that John Fetterman had trouble having a basic conversation with her and then explained all the aids that he needed. And she was pillared. I mean, destroyed by people you think were like objective, normal journalists, like a Kara Swisher, for example, like you're lying. He's perfectly fine. I mean, and people called for her to be fired. So I think we got a taste there of what happens if somebody from ABC News decides that they're going to investigate the Bidens and actually comes up with something the way Woodward and Bernstein did with Nixon. I think they'll they'll be ostracized from the club because the club is in New York and it's in Washington. If you look at the way those places vote, you either conform or you're eliminated. Right, Ash? Wasn't it interesting? I know what interview you're talking about. Um, I didn't see her pass in. These people, these journalists who come out with this stuff, and they're, they're just telling you what they experienced. It's like they just kind of disappear. You don't hear about it anymore, and that's what's concerning to me. I, I just I don't understand. I, I do not understand it. That is not how true journalism works. Yeah. But who knows? Like I said, I don't know what benefit they're getting out of it, but when they try to do their jobs – you're right. It just comes back and bites him. And then you know what? And here we are back to square one. 
Precisely. And I guess CNN's the other example, Ashley, where they tried to move back to the center. They hired a guy, and that was his his mission, his marching orders. And then they put Trump on the air for a town hall, and then there was a rebellion within the organization like we've never seen before. Like, how could you put Donald Trump on the air? You know, Don Lemon, Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper literally telling his audience that, well, I don't blame you if you never watch this network again, which is like, what? I would fire him like mid-commercial if I ever heard someone say something what like did he that. La- he lasted, what, a year? Less. Less than a year. Less than uh, a year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, people. I think people were actually excited to see CNN get back to what they originally were. And then all of a sudden, well, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Don't He's gone. That. Yep. And, and now they're back to being exactly what they were before and without a hint of even uh, self-awareness as far as this is not reflecting well on you. And the audience no. that you had in 1991 during the Gulf War, where they did such incredible reporting, uh, they're, they're gone now. We're talking to Ashley Strohheimer. Uh, you didn't take your husband's name. My wife didn't take... My name, uh, is that a professional thing? Because she blames being the doctor thing and she has to get all her licenses changed and all the money that goes into that. I think she just wants to keep the uh, the old Match.com account open, and this is the uh, easiest way Now, to I don't know that. what your situation is with your wife. I mean, maybe she does have some secret dating account. I don't know, Joe. Oh, no? Um, I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings I, today. Just... Maybe tomorrow. Um, no, but <laughs> she's laughing if she's I listening have... to this. Trust me. <laughs> no, I, I just really like my last name. I've used it. For you know all of my news, I never cha- I didn't change it. I know a lot of people have stage names for news. This is my name. This is how people know me, and it works. So, it, and he was does. totally on board with it. He's he's very laid back. He doesn't care. Oh, I didn't care. Uh, she's like, no, I, I think I want to be. Uh, her last name's Reedy. She's like, I'm just going to keep being Jean Reedy. I'm like, that's a cool name. Now, I call her by her last name anyway, so uh, that would have been a, a tough transition. Say, yes, I will say it's going to be weird for me that my baby will have his last name and not mine. Um, so that's, yeah. that's the only thing that bothers me, but anything else, not really. You don't have to reveal anything here. We're going to leave in about 20 seconds. Do we know the gender? Yeah. Yes, the baby? I can. Yes, of course. Okay. It's a boy. It's a boy. And you have the name picked <laughs> yeah. out. I do. I'm not going to reveal the name on here. I've only told a handful of people, okay. um, but five weeks we'll know. We, we, we will know. Okay. Hopefully it's like an athletic, cool name, like the type of name that girls like bragging <laughs> oh, to their super friends. Cool. Really? It's, it's real not Brock. We know that because Carly already called him. No, it's not Brock. That's Carly's baby. Yeah, yeah. I always like Jack. Uh, they say Jacks end up being the most successful of all the names. Jack was one of our options. Oh, that's funny. All right. I guess we'll see you in five <laughs> weeks. But anyway, I mean, being told we got to go and you know all about heartbreak. So, Ashley, always right. a pleasure. And we'll have to do this again you sometime. Too, this was fun. Yes, of course. I'll see you. And actually, I'll talk to you probably later this week. That's right. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye, Ash. Bye. Okay. Joe Concha filling in for Jimmy Fallon. She's great, isn't she? 888-788-9910. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the show that Standard & Poor describes as Standard & Poor. I would say he's incompetent, but I don't want to do that because that's not nice. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Duran Duran rules. Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. Well, this hot off the Truth Social posts, which is an utter failure, by the way. Sorry. I mean, Donald Trump has a fraction of the followers on Truth Social, his own social media company uh, that he had on Twitter. He did post on Twitter last week the mugshot. 
He had 89 million followers on Twitter. I, I think he's just got to go back and, and punt on Truth Social, which is hemorrhaging money at this point. Anyway, here's what Trump has to say today. Rumor are strong. Rumor spelled R-O-O-M-E-R. Are strong in political circles that Ron DeSanctimonious, whose presidential run is in shambles, whose poll numbers have absolutely crashed, putting him in third and fourth in some states, will be dropping out of the presidential race in order to run in Florida against Rick Scott for Senate. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Literally the first time that anybody has actually said this. Uh, and I'm sorry. I get... No, I don't even know how you misspell rumor. And people are going to get mad at me for this. But R-O-O-M-E-R, maybe it's maybe he's doing that intentionally because now rumor is trending. What do I know? Anyway, Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. Back with more in just a moment, including an interview with Mr. Fallon himself. The host becomes a guest. Go figure. <laughs> Stay tuned. It's hour number three of Fox Across America. I am Joe Concha filling in for the great Jimmy Fallon. You know me. I'm a Fox News contributor. I'm on. I'm ubiquitous. That's your big word of the day. Ubiquitous on Fox News, Fox Business, Fox Nation, Fox News Radio. You name the venue. I'm like, I'm going to date myself here. Remember the old uh, Mikey commercials from Life Serial? And they say they're, they're trying to get like somebody to try the cereal and they go, I'll give it to Mikey. He'll try anything. It's like, you call me, I'll do anything. Right. I I will appear where I am called. That's called being a contributor. You contribute and that's the way it works. And I'm happy to fill in today for Jimmy on this wonderful program. So many things to talk about guys. I mean, we only have three hours and we're in hour three, but I I did want to get to this and it's all about this no labels deal going on as far as a third-party candidate. And we've seen third-party candidates not exactly have a lot of success in the past, right? The the one that comes to mind the most is Ross Perot, 1992. We got nearly 20% of the vote, and Bill Clinton ended up winning the presidency just by capturing 43% of the vote. So not even close to a majority, but George H.W. Bush, president at the time, 12 years of Republican rule, he only got 38. So the third-party candidate... We never quite knew who he was pulling from, Perot, but Bill Clinton got in with 43% of the vote during that election. But after that, we really haven't seen too much success at all, but we have seen third-party candidates decide elections. Ralph Nader, 2000, Hanging Chads, Florida, remember that? It came down to one state, and Nader got just enough votes to tip the scales to George W. Bush from Al Gore. Something like 538 votes, I want to say, was the difference in that election. And then we saw it, obviously, in 2016, where you had the Green Party candidate. Was that Jill Stein? Am I getting that name right? Boy, I know it was seven years ago, but the memory is really starting to go at this point. Uh, She pulled enough votes away from Hillary Clinton in key states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, to upend that particular election. Yep, Jill Ellen Stein. Always good to have the Google machine in front of you in these situations. Uh, So 2020, there wasn't much of a third-party candidate. Libertarians, we thought were getting some momentum. Not really, no. So now No Labels is coming out, and they are going to put forth a a candidate, try to get that candidate on all 50 ballots as far as the states are concerned. And Joe Lieberman, who – remember who Joe Lieberman is, right? We talked about Al Gore a second ago. He he was Al Gore's running mate in 2000. And in 2008, he probably was going to be John McCain's running mate. Now imagine this. You're the running mate for a Democratic presidential candidate, and eight years later you're the running mate for a Republican. And McCain was about to go with him, but then Barack Obama was just taking off in the polls. And McCain figured he needed a Hail Mary, 
perhaps needed to try to appeal to the women's vote and then went with this other so-called maverick governor from Alaska that no one had ever heard of in Sarah Palin. And that turned out to be the disaster that it was. Right. Uh, But, you know, I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. But if McCain was closer to Obama in the polls and didn't think he had to do something drastic as far as his VP pick, he was going with Joe Lieberman. He, He said it in interviews years later. And Lieberman now is running this no labels campaign. My question is, who's the third party candidate? Like, who are you going to get that has name recognition that people can say, you know what? He's probably somebody who could work with both parties. And you also have to ask the question, do we really want somebody who works with the other side? I mean, ask yourself that. Ask yourself that honestly. Like, do you want to work with Democrats on spending? You want to work with them on crime? You want to work with them on securing the border? on education, on foreign policy. There is so much difference between the two parties right now. This ain't the 80s anymore, where you had Ronald Reagan, and he'd get together with Tip O'Neill, who was the House Speaker at the time, Democrat. And if they had any disagreement, they got together for a drink afterwards, because they were both Irish, and that's what we do as Irish uh, Irishmen. And they would hammer out deals, and they would actually have compromise. And then Reagan ended up winning 49 of 50 states in 1984 as a result of doing that. Now, if you work with the other side... Because of social media, I'm not saying completely, but it has a big, big deal or a big, big part of all of this is social media. You work with the other side. You say something nice about the other side, any member of the other side, and on the Republican side, you'll be called a rhino. Like that. Like Ron DeSantis, he's a rhino. Why is he a rhino? Well, Jeb Bush endorsed him when he ran for governor in 2018. Well, yeah, Jeb Bush is a former Republican governor. So he, re- he's, he endorsed the Republican running in that election? And that somehow makes Ron DeSantis a rhino? Like, how does that work exactly? But, but overall, if you're like a Mitt Romney, for example, and you vote with the other side once in a while, you're automatically a rhino. Republican in name only. How dare you do that? Like the people who voted up for the infrastructure bill, for example. I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm saying that, hey, once in a while you do have to compromise, right? Unless you have the House, the Senate, and the Oval Office, and Republicans don't, you will have to compromise. Sorry, I know it's a dirty word. But that's the way that goes. But but here's the question, though. Like, do people really want that ultimately when they're voting? Or is it a war and you got to win the war? I say most people vote under the terms of it's a war and you got to win the war. Let me give you an example of this. Kristen Soltis Anderson. She is a uh, pollster that was with Fox, I think, at one point. She's been with a couple of networks. She's with the New York Times now. You say, oh, the liberal New York Times, I don't trust her. D- just hear me out on this, okay? Because she runs focus groups. So it's not even like we're getting... Kristen's opinion. We're getting the focus group's opinion. So she was smart. She put together 11 Biden voters from 2020, got them in a room, asked some pretty simple questions like, hey, do you think that Joe Biden is a strong president? And all 11 answered no. Hmm. And they all voted for him. That's interesting. Are you disappointed in the Biden presidency? All 11 answered yes, they are disappointed. Do you think Joe Biden should run in 2024? All 11 raised their hand and said no when asked the question. So you're like, okay, they don't think he's a strong leader. They're disappointed in his presidency. All 11 don't think he should run again. Then she asked the final question, and this is the money question. Who are you going to vote for in 2024? All 11 answered Joe Biden. So then Kristen Soltis-Anderson asked, well, how can it be? You just said all these things that you don't want him to run again, not strong. They all said, because we have to vote against the alternative. Vote against 
That's how it works these days. We're voting against parties instead of for candidates. So I don't know if you're no labels. How you put forth, say, a Joe Manchin, for example. I keep hearing Manchin over and over again as far as the possible candidate there. The Joe Manchin that voted for the Inflation Reduction Act that he said later he got hoodwinked on. That, that the, the, basically the Biden administration lied to him. But still, he had some Republicans trusting him up until that point. Now they don't anymore. And then obviously Democrats don't like him because he voted down Build Back Better. Remember that? It was like a $6 trillion spending bill that Biden wanted to get across. And they had the House, the Senate, and the Oval Office. But they didn't have Joe Manchin. They didn't have Kristen Sinema. So that fell in the 50-50 Senate. So Democrats still haven't forgiven Manchin for that. So I don't know if you put Joe Manchin forward that that's somehow going to solve everything. But but that's where we are. Anyway, let's get to it. it. Is cut 16 Joe Lieberman on why voters don't want what looks to be the current rematch right now. Cut 16. Go. No labels is is challenging the political status quo. And, and in a way, the control that the two parties have over our uh, political system. We think uh, there's a real opportunity for a third choice and that it's the American people are telling us on polling we're doing and discussions we're having that they ju- they've lost confidence in the two major parties. And by large numbers, they don't want to have to choose again between President Trump and President Biden. And he's right, by the way. And you, you look at poll after poll, and a majority of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run. Something like 70, 75 percent of Americans don't want him to run. You would think that it would be a slam dunk for whoever the Republican nominee is. It would probably be Donald Trump. But then the problem is 60-something percent of voters don't want him to run either. So you have two people where overwhelming majorities do not want them to run, and yet that looks like it's going to be the rematch right now. Which is, which is amazing. So I get Lieberman's point, and there probably is an appetite for somebody like that, but I don't think it could be a politician. I don't think it could be somebody who is part of the so-called establishment. That is a non-starter, as we know, for any Trump supporter, period. And that's why Vivek Ramaswamy, my new column in The Messenger, themessenger.com, you might want to visit it, great, great site that I started working for in May as a columnist, and I broke down who I think are the top five possible selections for VP if Trump is a nominee or if anybody's a nominee, whether it's DeSantis or whether that's Tim Scott. Again, they're down 30 points and don't seem to be gaining. They gained a little bit, at least DeSantis did after the debate, but the the gap is so wide and Trump supporters are so loyal. When he said that he'd go in the middle of Fifth Avenue, he could shoot someone and people would still vote for him, his supporters, he wasn't kidding. And he's probably right. (laughs) So I don't see how you pluck away enough of those folks from Trump. Uh, if you're DeSantis, particularly when a lot of them accuse you of being a rhino, even though they love your record in Florida, it's, 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 it's a convoluted thing. But, but the point is that I think it has to be somebody who we're not even thinking about right now, who maybe is a businessman of some kind like Trump and could kind of be seen as a moderate, perhaps, probably right of center, if anything. And then from there, it gets interesting because if no one gets to 270 electoral votes, uh, then what happens <laughs> exactly? And maybe that's the point. It's not to win the 270. It's to get enough votes to get more than one-third of the vote, and then maybe that makes you the next president. I, I just, I'm just i thinking out loud right now, and I don't know who that person could be from the private sector and if that person would even want to run. You see what we do to people when they decide to become candidates or Supreme Court nominees for that matter, like Brett Kavanaugh, where they go back, what, 
30, 40 years into his yearbook to try to like decode what he may have written about something? Or people come forward and say, I was at a party with him and he tried to rape me, but no one could corroborate that? And that nearly completely and totally sidetracked and, 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 and sent him off the rails completely as far as being a Supreme Court judge. So that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. So if you're in the private sector and you're thinking, hey, maybe I want to be president. Maybe I don't like the direction of the country. Maybe Joe Biden, I think, is too old, too incompetent. And Donald Trump, you know, enough drama, whether it's fair to him or not. You know, maybe, maybe we just need to normalize things again and bring somebody forward who could run this country like a business, like Trump wanted, beat Trump without all the baggage. I don't know who that person is, and I don't know who would want to make that sacrifice, quite frankly, given the world that we live in. Anyway, it is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon, back with Mr. Fallon. He's going to join us on his own show, almost unprecedented, except we've already done it. We're going to do it again. That's next on Fox Across America. Critics are calling it the show of the year. Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is absolutely absurd that given the anti-worker ideology and policies of the Republican Party, that that party now has more working class support than Democrats. Democrats are losing more and more support within the Latino community and even among African American men. That has got to change. Never thought I'd say this, but Bernie Sanders is right in this sense that the Democratic Party more and more is about being the party for elites. Seriously, it's, it's all about the big cities and it's all about let's put it this way. Kamala Harris. <laughs> I mean, This is incredible. This was, I think, last weekend. Kamala Harris did a fundraiser and it was called a grassroots fundraiser was it in scranton pennsylvania sandusky ohio ohio you know was it in some uh, little town in michigan wisconsin ohio you know sandusky i mentioned because uh, of the great chris farley movie no it was on martha's vineyard ten thousand dollars a plate to listen to kamala harris i mean that's an expensive amount to listen to Somebody give a $1,000 world salad type of speech, right? I mean, you, who would pay $10,000 to listen to Kamala Harris? You'd have to pay me $10,000, and I may consider it, considering how those speeches usually go. But, but you get the point, though. It's now the party that caters to the elites. Think about what the Democratic Party once was. Think about John F. Kennedy Jr. I know many of you probably weren't alive when he was around, but John F. Kennedy Jr. ran on tax cuts. I mean, major tax cuts and won. And beefing up the military, because the Soviets were obviously expanding power, going to Cuba, so on. And read about the Cuban Missile Crisis sometime. Or better yet, rent the movie 13 Days with Kevin Costner, which is one of the better movies nobody has ever seen. <laughs> but apparently I have many times. Uh, it's incredible. But, but that was Kennedy's platform. John F. Kennedy, by the way, who was a war hero in World War II, he had a, a PT-109 boat. He was in the South Pacific. It gets basically sawed in half by a Japanese destroyer. He then saves the crew, gets them to like an island where then he writes, I swear to God, because I'm writing a book on this, not on this, but on the Democratic Party in general, how much it's changed. And Kennedy writes a message on a coconut, which is then somehow curried over to a, an Australian kind of 
a resistance force there to the Japanese, and they're able to get them off the island and home. I mean, this is incredible stuff. So, and by the way, he volunteered to be in World War II, John F. Kennedy. Joe Biden, if you want to look at today's Democratic Party, got five draft deferments for what? For asthma. I am not making this up. Five draft deferments for asthma. That's Joe Biden for you. And the party has just changed so much. I mean, you look at Jimmy Carter. He was a pro-life Democrat. Huh? Now you hear Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Cortez say, AOC, say that if you are pro-choice, or no, I'm sorry, if you're pro-life, you're, you should not be in the Democratic Party. You should not be allowed in the Democratic Party. So now every person that's left that's pro-life in the Democratic Party, and I think there's one guy left, uh, Henry Cuellar in, down in Texas, she put much time and resources into trying to primary him and nearly had him defeated. But that's basically it. There's basically one pro-life Democrat left in the House of Representatives, none in the Senate, obviously not in the White House, even though Joe Biden's supposed to be a great Catholic. So imagine this. Like, you actually had a Democratic Party where you had a pro-life president win, which is remarkable. And then Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, as far as the border is concerned, you go back and listen to Bill Clinton's speeches, he makes Trump sound like a wallflower when it comes to securing the border and deporting those who should not be here back to their countries because they're taking good jobs away from Americans who are here legally. This is a Democrat saying this. And then Barack Obama and Joe Biden, right? Remember, that was an administration for eight years, deported more people in those eight years than any other presidency administration in history. Yes, many more than Donald Trump. Donald Trump only had four years, but he wasn't even on pace to keep up with them. So that's all I'm saying, that this party, just in the past couple of years, has completely and totally changed. It's utterly remarkable, and not for the good either. I mean, you think about all the things they're for now, spending trillions of dollars while inflation's going up. They're not for energy independence, clearly. Crime in American cities, tough district attorneys, uh uh-uh. It's a revolving door of criminals, and that's why so many people are leaving San Francisco, Chicago, and New York for states like Florida, Texas, and Tennessee, which are run by Republicans. I could go on and on, but this ain't your daddy's donkeys anymore, and that is the name of my book coming out. I don't have the date yet, but I'm pretty sure sometime in 2023, Not Your Daddy's Donkeys, where we just go through all the things that we just talked about as far as the Democratic Party completely losing their way at this point and even bernie sanders saying you're not connecting with working class people and the reason why that's important is because elections aren't decided nationally anymore they're decided basically in five states pennsylvania wisconsin michigan right those are the top three ohio's red it's gone forget it that that you don't even contest that anymore if you're a democrat you don't even contest florida either those states are gone replaced with kind of Georgia, Arizona. You win three of those five states that I just mentioned, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you are the next president of the United States if everything else holds and all those other states that usually go red or blue. And that's all it comes down to. And working class people will decide elections. And if Democrats aren't connecting with them anymore, it's lights out. I don't care who the Republican nominee is. It is Joe Concha in for Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. Back with more in just a moment. I know this much is true. I wonder if our next guest, who's actually the host of this show, so everything is upside down, Jimmy Fallon can identify the scene in which that song was played in a John Hughes movie that may or may not have come out in 1985. I wonder if he could name (laughs) that movie in that scene. 
Well, first of all, it's good to be here on karaoke night <laughs> on Fox across yeah, America. And, of course, that was uh, the legendary Spandau Ballet. Uh, I'm trying to picture – is it uh, – but, 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 but you got me, Concha. Hold on a second. Is okay. It, is it um, – Want to hit? I'm just – I'm so mad because I know the movie. It's not yeah. 16 Candles. It's um, – It is? It is, right? Yeah. I see. I'm so good. That's how it, sharp it, I am. Even when you stump me with karaoke, Concha. Wow. I, really I should have done that. I put you on the spot. But it's, it's the scene where Molly Ringwald <laughs> is watching – uh, Jake, what was his name again? Jake, uh, Jake, Jake, Jake. Yeah, yeah. Well, can I tell you a funny story about that movie, by the way? You know yeah. how our mutual friend Emily Campagno is the biggest 16 Candles fan who ever is lived. right? She loves all of those, like the pretty in pinks and stuff like that. And, uh, just like a word of caution. Like, you know how you can wind certain people up at the party? Like, if you went up to Hillary Clinton and asked her about the 2016 election, she'd talk for seven and a half hours, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. You you can't sixteen candles, Campagno, or you've got like a you just made a day out of it, like pack a lunch. She has the best <laughs> life. If we could talk about Emily behind her back for a moment, all in good ways, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. she was a Oakland Raiders cheerleader, right? And then yeah. she also went to law school and became a prosecutor, and then <laughs> has her own show now on Fox, Outnumbered, which is like the greatest show to do because it's like five people sitting around a couch, you know, talking about stuff, and, and you yes, get paid for it. Me. And now she has her own podcast, like on. Uh, crimes and murders and all that. I mean, I'm like the, I want this person's like, oh yeah, and she drives what, like a '67 Corvette or something? It's oh, nuts. her she has Mustang. a '72 Mach One. It's like a '72 it's, Mach One. She comes on the show and talks about it. Like Richard Petty, like Petty Racing remade her Mach One. Like it's that badass. So, wow. Yeah, she's, she's got us beat. I mean, listen, I'm a six-time Super Bowl champion in Xbox. It's not nothing. <laughs> you know, I've got rings. I've got, I've got some swag. Uh, and I've, and uh, listen. I got, I got a book. I got a guest spot on Fox Across America. What's better than that? It's huge, and you're hosting Gutfeld tonight, my people tell me. It is amazing. I got I to gotta call my agents, though, and thank them for this booking that they got. I'm like, how did you get me on Fox Across America? I got the message this morning. That's they said, funny. like, I'm not even kidding. I get, you know, like, how, how out of it, um, you know, people can be. Like, I actually did get an email this morning, a heads-up reminder that I'm appearing on Fox Across America. And I was like, oh, get out of here. Thanks, because I host it. But, uh, Did it have that, like your name in the title? Uh, just to remind you, we'll be appearing, appearing on Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> As Jimmy Fallon. It would have been great if they were like, don't use too many big words. The host's a little slow. <laughs> oh, like, that's hey, funny. Wait a hey, minute. Do we have the same agent, by the way? Are you with UTA? I'm with all UTI is the way it feels these days. But oh. uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey oh No, everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> well done. And uh, I can confirm your reporting is accurate. Uh, to quote Spandau Ballet, it is true. Okay. That I will be guest hosting for the King of Late Night tonight, and, and who are your uh, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a hot show. It's gonna be a, gonna be a hot one. And uh, we just got back, Concha. I got back from Vegas Saturday afternoon. We were at the Green Valley Ranch Saturday, uh, Friday night. Mm-hmm. And the women, the woman who runs the Green Valley Ranch, like her name needs to be said on the air, whether she's listening or not. Okay, Candace, who is in charge of events at Green Valley, mm-hmm. is just like pound for pound one of the top two human beings I've ever met. Really? And they run like such a classier operation than our show deserves. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like all the accoutrements of a, of like a Miss America pageant, but in the talent show, we're busting out ping pong balls. Like, there's no, there's no world peace. Nobody's playing the harp. It's like it's a Miss America pageant where people are throwing singles during the talent portion of the show. Oh boy. 
but we're still met with like a level of uh, integrity that's it's wonderful, second to none. So it was a it was a first class event. Two thousand people or seventeen hundred was the number who showed up. That was wow. the number it sat. We have a listener who calls into the show and contests the size of all my crowds. Oh, uh, but we can ascertain, Lucy, if you're out there, seventeen hundred strong, and it was a banger. So wow. I'm kind of like going into Gutfeld tonight on a on like a real bender, you know. Hopefully we can get this face tattoo scrubbed off by then, but no promises. <laughs> you got the Tyson thing? Yeah. <laughs> or it was the hangover too, right? The, uh, yes, the he's in the hangover. He brings, a t- he brings a tiger. Yeah. That's, uh-huh. that's amazing. But, uh, but that's, that's the word on the street, and it's going to be a hot one. Who are the guests? Who you got on? Oh, I mean, you have Cat and Tyrus, and then who else? Well, the, uh, the rumor on the, the word on the street is we might have a guy Benson sighting. I don't mean to get hopes up. The rumors of Jamie Lissau, perhaps, if the Bunny Ranch closes. We don't know. We're still in negotiation with them on that (laughs) one. We don't know what time it's going to close. I'm still talking to Cat Timp. There's a lot lot of moving parts tonight. The only thing you need to know is there's an anchor that's sitting in the host chair, probably looking a little taller than he is because of the phone books I'm sitting on. But it's going to be a hot night, and we're excited for it. I I did the five once, and I was on next to Lawrence Jones, who's Uh a good 6'5". And the five chairs don't – they don't go up or down. Like, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're standard stairs. So they literally gave me a phone book to sit on because during the commercial break, someone said that I, I looked profoundly short next to Lawrence, and they were probably <laughs> right. So then I came back, like, three inches taller, which is, which is awesome. Anyway, I know you got to go soon, but uh, I, yeah. I just wanted to share this so we could date ourselves completely. Uh, Jake Ryan, by the way, was mm-hmm. his name in, in 16 Candles, everybody's mm-hmm. heartthrob from the 80s. His real name is Michael Shoffling, if I'm pronouncing that correctly <laughs> – and do you realize that he is turning 63 this year? If you want to feel really old, 63. That is crazy. Not right. <laughs> but nobody wants to watch that remake, 63 Candles. <laughs> they should <laughs> try it. Depressing. Molly Ringwald, I mean, she's got to be in her 50s now at this point. I mean, it's depressing. The we can't end on a depressing note. So Gutfeld is tonight the, at well, the, the new Well, the truth is really quick. The 63-year-olds did make a 16 Candles uh, reboot. It was called Epstein Island. Oh. But, uh, Good night, everybody. <laughs> well done. The, the joke I tell about Epstein is that they, they took the cameras that were since in his jail cell where he wasn't murdered or anything, and they put uh-huh. him in the White House instead. They, they, they can't they're, capture they're, anything they're of substance. Cocaine now. Great exactly. stuff. Uh, listen, I owe you big for filling in. Make sure everybody watches Gutfeld tonight. It's going to be a banger. That's 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. in Coronado. So uh, everybody do tune into Jimmy, and it will be a banger, and Jimmy will be probably on a bender. And when you combine those two things, nothing can go wrong. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> I owe you big. I'll see you, buddy. Take All care. All right, man. Not a problem. And we'll be back with more Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon in just a moment. It's the show that never hits the books. I love the poorly educated. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. And welcome back, everybody. It's hour three of the Jimmy Fallon Show, Fox Across America. So I write for The Messenger, as I may have mentioned before, and that's themessenger.com, of course. And what can I say? It's, it's really been a fun ride so far because I'm writing for a publication that's a lot like the hill where I was at for seven years, whereas we have opinions from the left and the right. It's not just coming from one side. And then our reporting is objective down the middle, and we get a lot of exclusives. That's kind of the way it's supposed to work, and we have great momentum right now. So please do visit The Messenger. And, hey, you go to the opinion section, you see something you don't like, guess what? You don't have to read it. Or maybe you should. See what the other side's thinking. It's, it's not the worst idea in the world. As a media guy, and I, I covered media for years, I was with Mediate for a while. Uh, then, obviously, at the Hill, I was a media reporter. Then I went over to the opinion side once I signed as a contributor with Fox because you can't report on a network 
objectively if they're paying you, despite what Brian Stelter or Oliver Darcy over at CNN, you know, former <laughs> CNN employee, Brian Stelter always tried to tell you, no, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be tough on my own network. No, you won't, dude. You're getting paid by him. You don't think you had to run through Jeff Zucker every time you had to say something remotely critical about your own network? Of course. And it was all homogenized, and it's all BS. I'm, I'm just saying, that, that a little inside baseball on that. So I went to the opinion side. Uh, as far as uh, writing is concerned. And now that's what I'm doing over at The Messenger because the former owner of The Hill created The Messenger. So I figured he was so successful at The Hill, why not go there? And, then, and that's that. Anyway, my newest story, latest story, Sunday story, column I should say, is about Donald Trump's top five VP selections. Now before you say, hey, why are you giving Trump the nomination? I'm with you. It is a nomination. It's not a coronation. I'm just going by basic numbers right now, where if you're up 30 points, and even after a debate that he didn't show up to, we didn't see that much of a bounce for anybody. Ron DeSantis a little bit, Mike Pence a little bit, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, depending on the poll you've seen, more visibility, therefore, he's gone up a little bit, and everybody else is a non-starter. I, I hate to say that, but Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, sorry, it's, it's just not going to happen for whatever reason. And Tim Scott, I'm going to talk about in a moment as far as being one of those five prospects, so I'm going to run it through for you right now. At number five, I have Elise Stefanik. All right, she's a congresswoman from New York. She's the third-ranking Republican in the House, and she is impossibly loyal to Donald Trump. And that's something that Trump values more than anything else. Who can I trust within my inner circle? Who's somebody that I know is never going to contradict me or go behind my back in any way, shape, or form? Right. And we saw that happen over and over again during his first term because he was dealing with a lot of people that he had never worked with before. Right. So uh, Steve Bannon was gone in, in seven months, for example, uh, and, and he was a senior strategist uh, w- within that administration. But it turned out he was leaking left and right to, to Michael Wolff, who then wrote a scathing book about Trump. Uh, Bannon's completely back on the, the Trump train again. I don't know how Trump feels about him. He hasn't gone on his show, so I'm a, I'm a, I, I would imagine that uh, the feeling isn't mutual, per se. Uh, but he had a bunch of other people within the administration that just when you just went down the line, you look at. What Trump had in 2017 when he first started and how he finished up as far as that administration was concerned, it was almost complete turnover. It was really remarkable. But anyway, so Stefanik, I think he thinks he could count on as far as that. In fact, uh, recently a reporter yelled to her that, hey, they're calling you ultra MAGA. What do you think about that? And she responded, I am ultra MAGA and I'm proud of it. So when you embrace it that way publicly, you have a decent shot. But name recognition, I just don't know uh, as far as the value add that she would bring ultimately Right. She's 39 years old. I don't think age really means anything, but perhaps to Trump it does. Perhaps it doesn't. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But Trump has to win back suburban women. That is the most crucial block for him in the states that matter. We've talked about it. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona. Uh, he lost a good chunk of them in 2020. So between getting that voting block and getting disgruntled Democrats, the people who look at their party and they don't recognize it anymore, and they just want some they, – they want – sanity as far as spending they don't like inflation just like the next guy or gal they don't like the fact they don't feel safe in their communities anymore they don't like the fact that kids test scores are at a 30-year low they don't like the fact that the border is wide open all these things you could you know pick off enough democrats where you could win in those states and therefore win the presidency but i don't know if elise stefanik at this point in her career is the person to do that but i i still have her in the top five anyway then you look at number four and that's francis suarez this guy one in Miami, okay? Like any major city is going to be liberal to a certain extent. He won in 2017 with 86% of the vote. 
And he won in 2021 re-election, 79% of the vote. These are insane numbers, again, for a city that's pretty progressive, right? So, obviously, he's Cuban-American. Joe Biden got 59% of the Hispanic vote in 2020. But now, all right, so put that number in your head. Basically, 6 in 10 Hispanics voted for Joe Biden. Now, only one-third want him to run for re-election. Can you imagine that? He went from having a solid majority to one-third saying, don't even try this again, please. We're not going to vote for you. So that's another block that could be picked off. And Suarez is very good in meeting, uh, in interviews, I should say. Uh, young guy, 45 years old. And just every interview I see him do, he's an impressive person. I guess that's why he's getting the share of the vote that he is. And then some people say, well, you're already going to win Florida, so why pick somebody from Florida? I don't know if that thing matters anymore where you pick somebody from a state and they automatically give you the state. Mitt Romney basically lost in 2012 because he didn't win Ohio. And Paul Ryan, his vice presidential pick, was from Ohio. So did that really help in any way? I don't know. Tim Kaine was on Hillary Clinton's ticket. Everybody forgets about him. He was from Virginia, and they're going to win that anyway. I don't know. I just don't, I don't really see the whole value of you pick a vice president from a certain state, and that will help you carry the state. I don't think that really matters. So Suarez is a very interesting person as well. Number three is a, a coworker of sorts, and it is Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi's a, a Fox News contributor like I am, and I think she's excellent on the air, by the way. And when she fills in and she guest hosts, <clears throat> she has a presence to her and a unique look to her. And the way she makes an argument, I stop and watch. And I don't do that for a lot of people. I do it for Jimmy, obviously, right? I don't even do it for myself. I'm being totally honest. I, people are like, oh, do you watch and evaluate yourself all the time? I used to. Now I think I kind of got this whole thing down. But it's the most awkward thing in the world is to rewind and watch a segment that you were just on. And I just don't do it anymore because I, I just, I don't know, it feels narcissistic, even if I'm trying to improve myself. But you get the point, though. When Tulsi speaks, people listen. And she is that old school Democrat that we've talked about in the past. She's not pro-war, for example. Remember, liberals were the ones that howled the most about Vietnam, rightly, by the way. It was an unjust war. We shouldn't have been in it. And it was Democrats. It was liberals that led the charge as far as pressuring our government to get the hell out of there because we had already lost 58,000 American servicemen in, in that war. For what? We're fighting in these jungles. For what? Right? So, so Democrats actually made sense on the war issue when they were so opposed to it back in the 60s. Where are those folks now when it comes to Ukraine? I mean, I'm sorry. This has been going on now for a year and a half, and it'll go on for years and years as this stalemate where the Russians can't advance and the Ukrainians will hold them off, and then the Ukrainians will launch a counteroffensive, which will go nowhere, while we're siphoning tens of billions of dollars into that country. Something's got to be negotiated, like all wars that end up like this, where we're not going to have any clear winner, or else this is just going to keep going on. And Vladimir Putin doesn't give a damn about body counts, right? It's something like what, 400,000 Russian troops have been killed? I mean, this is an insane number. The highest easily since World War II for that country. And Putin doesn't care. He'll just keep throwing bodies at the problem until the Ukrainians wear down and then they're finally able to advance to places like Kiev. But it, it, that's not going to happen for years. So we, we better figure something out. But Democrats are all in for it for whatever reason, but not Tulsi. So between that and between her being about as close to pro-life as you could get as a pro-choice Democrat, she uh, put forth some legislation that said you, you uh, cannot have abortions past 20 weeks. Okay, that's a little bit on the outside of what Americans are comfortable with. They, they do not want any abortions in the second trimester, overwhelming uh, majority. Only 28% support abortions past the first trimester. And that's about where Trump is. Trump's at 15 weeks uh, as far as a ban. DeSantis, six weeks. That's a little 
little soon <laughs> in a pregnancy because half the time, according to my wife as a doctor, even at six weeks, a lot of people don't know they're pregnant. So, you know, I, I think that's a little bit uh, on the extreme side as far as that is concerned. But, but Tulsi Gabbard would be very interesting. And boy, if you want to see the Internet blow up, nothing better than a Trump-Tulsi ticket to do it. And again, she's good on television and Trump values that. So I have her at number three. Number two, <clears throat> Senator Tim Scott, who I mentioned before. He's positive, he's Reagan-esque, he's not going anywhere. But as a vice presidential candidate, he could really, really take away the Democrats' number one attack, which is to play the race card from the bottom of the deck by accusing everybody who's ultra, uber, MAGA of being racist. Well, you can't say that about Tim Scott, right? And if he's on that ticket, then that pretty much proves that that's not the case. So you're still going to pe- hear people on MSNBC call him Uncle Tim and a traitor to his race and all that stuff, but no one listens to those people anyway. Those, but those folks in the middle, he may be appealing enough and, and a calming presence enough on a Trump ticket to really help him win. And I went back and forth whether I'd make him number one or the following guy number one, but I ended up with Vivek Ramaswamy, who we've talked about. Yes, he's only 38 years old. Yes, he's never held public office. But in a Republican primary, those elements are viewed as strengths, you know, not weaknesses. And look, this is a self-made billionaire at this age. He's one of the youngest billionaires in the country. He's never been in politics before. Again, that's a good thing. Then you're seen as an outsider, somebody who succeeded in the real world and will run the government like a business. And Trump is only one term, remember. So handing it off to Vivek Ramaswamy, who is fearless, he will go anywhere as far as interviews are concerned. And he is good. He is very good as a public speaker. And a lot of people thought he won that debate last week. I had it even with DeSantis. But, uh, again, this is the future of the Republican Party, so why not make him the VP now? Trump wins, hand off the baton, and then you got 12 years of rule if that ticket actually wins. Anyway, thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for Jimmy for letting me sit in this wonderful chair. And thanks to everybody behind the glass. And to you, of course, the listener. Hopefully I'll be doing this soon if they allow me. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you when I see you. It is Fox Across America. The world of business moves fast. Stay on top of it with the Fox Business Rundown every Monday and Friday. Listen to the Fox Business Rundown starting May 20th at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.